Grab a Bible. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians as uh, fans or followers, uh, the followers of Jesus' sacrifice. And the word Lord is used over and over in the book of, of 1 Corinthians. Have you ever seen those things that you're doing wrong? They're all over Facebook. Uh, these are things you've always been doing wrong. For instance, like eating a banana. You probably peel it from the top where the little thing is, but you're supposed to flip it over and peel it from the bottom where the seed is. You've been doing it wrong all this time. How about toothpaste? You've probably been rolling it up, but really you're supposed to take a bobby pin and use it as a little squeegee and just slide it right up the tube. Or how about a s'more? You've been making s'mores all wrong. You probably make them with graham crackers. You're supposed to use Oreo cookies. And you untwist that thing, put the marshmallow in the microwave for a couple seconds, and you have a new take on the s'more. How about that foil? You ever pull the foil out and the whole roll comes out and it unrolls across the kitchen floor? Did you know on the end of the boxes there's little tabs that you're supposed to push in? In fact, it says press here to lock, roll. And when you put that in, no more roll flies out of the box. How about apples? You probably bite it on the side, but the correct way is to take the stem off and eat it from the top all the way to the bottom, and you're left with nothing. Which begs the question, what happens to the seeds, the core, and the stem? I don't know, but you've been doing it wrong the whole time. So a lot of things in life we are doing wrong, and when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are going to find out we have been doing communion wrong the whole time. There's a lot of stuff that we have incorporated into the celebration of the Lord's Supper that wasn't how they did it back in Corinth, as Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He's been writing in chapters 8, 9, and 10 about participation in ungodly things, about participation in things that would pull our allegiance away from the Lord. And so one of the contexts that he's writing in is the city of Corinth. It was a very metropolitan city, and it had uh, multi-gods and temples, very much like the world we live in today. There was a a plethora of things you could choose from, of worldviews and religions. And so in this place, the Christians at Corinth were called to be separate. They were called to be different. And the meals were part of this pagan worship, and it was very uh, much a part of their culture. And so the meat that was offered to idols could be eaten at these meals and then sold in the marketplace. And Paul says, listen, Christians, you are not to participate in things that are not honoring to God and not honoring to the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we looked at last week this idea that there are some appropriate ways to approach God. And one of those appropriate ways to approach God is by our createdness. God created us in his image, but he didn't just create us. He created male and female, and we are to honor those distinctions. Each of those distinctions comes with responsibilities, but also comes with restrictions and also comes with great joys. And Paul says, as you approach the Lord and and worship in truth, you honor him in a way that is for who you are. And now he gets into uh, verse 17 of chapter 11. Uh, He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. So here's what's happening. In the early church at Corinth, where the church didn't meet in buildings, they met in people's homes. Well, who had the large homes or homes large enough to um, have a gathering? It was, it was the wealthy. And in fact, archaeologists have uncovered homes of many wealthy patrons of places that were specifically designed for worship. And so the minority of the well-to-do believers, including the major financial supporters, and some of them financially supported Paul, opened their homes, and that's where the believers met. They are the ones who would have had the leisure time and the resources to arrive earlier and bring larger and finer qualities of food than the rest of the congregation. And so they hosted these 
festival events. Before they were Christians, they would host pagan festival events, but now they were hosting an event that was specifically Christian in origin. And so what happened is these wealthier, well-to-do patrons would come with their good food and their drink, and they would fill the main dining room. And then the majority of the congregation, those who had to work, uh, finish work before coming on Saturday night or Sunday night, because the weekend, as we know it, was not law at the time. There was no uh, established Christian religion. And so they were working. And so as the, as the working folk came... The main dining room was full, and everybody else would spill out into the atrium and out into the garden, out into the hallways, and so they would be seated separately. And those who couldn't afford to bring very good food or a full meal did not have the opportunity to share with everybody else, because everybody with the good food got there first, and everybody else with the lesser food got there last, and so there were these divisions there was this opportunity to come together and remember Jesus. But Paul says that's not what's happening. So let's go on. He says in verse 1, For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Uh, Paul's being sarcastic there. He's saying there has to be differences to show which of you has God's approval. In other words, because some people are behaving so badly, the other people, right, the cream rises to the top. And so what Paul is, he's not praising divisions, but what he's saying is some of you are behaving so badly, it makes everybody else look good. And so he said, there are these differences. And in verse 20, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Those latecomers, the, the poor people that were coming. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come... I will give you further instructions. And so in elementary school, we learned the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. They had to ironically misspell all the words so that we could get the three R's. And so Paul, in this section, I think he gives us some five R's for help us to remember. And as we approach communion and as we approach the Lord's table, these are things that we don't sometimes think about, but this is what Paul was talking about. 
And the very first thing that Paul is telling us, some of these communion basics, as we break the bread together, and as we participate together, is that we are to repudiate divisiveness. Repudiate means to refuse to be associated with or refuse to accept. And so one of Paul's main contentions was that when you come together, he was saying that there was divisions. These aren't the divisions he talked about in chapter 1, where one said, I follow Paul, and one said, I follow Apollos, and one says, I follow Cephas. Those are not the divisions. What Paul was saying is that there is divisions among you between economic classes, the rich and the poor. James, the epistle of James also talks about this. But Paul is saying there's these divisions. The, the wealthier folks who were coming early with, with good food, where they were going ahead and eating, and it was creating an economic division between them and everybody else. And the practice of these believers was hindering the faith of other believers. The weekly large gatherings should be uplifting. And in the first century, people met in homes. They shared a meal together, and then they participated in the Lord's Supper. They didn't get together just to get together. They got together to fellowship. Where are defenses usually broken down? Where, where do we have this place of community? Isn't it around the table? I mean, Jesus, all through his ministry, he dined with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners, but he dined with sinners. And so Jesus gives us this model. It's around the table where we have this, this community, this communion, this commonality between us. But divisive meals were well known at this time. Ancient literature, uh, one inscription in Pompeii says, Be sociable and put aside, if you can, annoying quarrels. If you can't, go back to your own home. Even the Greeks of the time and the Romans knew that if you can't get together at the table, just go home. Because this is a place where we're supposed to get together. And so Paul says that the bad behavior of some was highlighting the good behavior of others. And this verse would have come as a shock. Look at verse 20. Paul says this, So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. We should just let that sink in a little bit. Sometimes the thing we think we're doing is not the way God looks at it. And sometimes the thing we think we're doing is not really what we are doing. Paul says, You think you're coming to the Lord's Supper to eat it, but your practice tells another story. You see, it's not what I think up here. It's actually what I do that tells the whole story. And so Paul is just saying, you think you're getting together for some spiritual reason, but that's not happening. You are far from spiritual as can be. Paul did not, like with the Old Testament, just getting together for just getting together doesn't do anything. But our hearts are in it. And we get together and, and God looks at our sacrifices. But he says, well, I don't, I don't want that if, you're, if your heart's not in it, if you are not there. And so Paul says, no matter what you call it, if you have the wrong attitude, it ain't it. You think it's the Lord's Supper, but it's not it. One of the reasons is because you have these divisions in your group. There's some who are eating well and some who are not, and it's being amplified and magnified when you get together. F.F. Bruce says this, It's no more possible for the Lord's Supper to be eaten in an atmosphere of social discrimination than it was for the same people to partake of the table of the Lord and the demons. The Eucharist, Lord's Supper, could be profaned by faction as certainly as by idolatry. 
In other words, what happens in the Lord's Supper is, if there is this divisiveness, if there is a separateness of the body of Christ, of the people of God, based on a number of things, Paul says, you are not eating the Lord's Supper. I don't care what you call it. You have the group of well-to-do here and the group of well-not-to-do over here and then this group over here in the body of Christ. What? We are one. We are together. And anything that creates those divisions is not what you think it is. And so Paul says the specific problem is this. What is the Lord's Supper supposed to communicate? The Lord's Supper is supposed to communicate unity. Together. Participating what? Together. And if it was a true meal of the Lord, the participants would show that they had fellowship in the body of Christ. What happened was they forgot, and we can forget this too, is that the Lord's Supper has a horizontal as well as a vertical dimension. In other words, the Lord's Supper is always in the context of a community of believers. I don't think you can take the Lord's Supper by yourself out somewhere because it's that's only the vertical dimension. It's got to be horizontal. In other words, we are participating together. It is a meal that is shared, what? Together. And originally, it was eaten in conjunction with food. Wouldn't that be awesome? We were going to do that today, but we didn't set it up in time, is to do the Lord's Supper after we eat. But today's a perfect example. You know what the Corinthians would have done? They would have got together for a meal, like we're going to do after church. And sometime after that meal, somebody would grab a loaf of bread and they would say, let's remember Jesus. And as they broke that bread and they passed it around, everybody's like, oh, his broken body. And as they passed around the cup, and they remembered his blood. And so an ordinary meal is never ordinary when the Lord is present. And that's all he was saying. Ironically, it was at the Last Supper that Jesus prayed for his followers to be one in Luke, or John chapter 17. Jesus said, I pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So at the Last Supper, a meal that is to signify unity, that Jesus prayed for unity, it had become a place of division. And there's a, not an obscure sense of irony in that whole thing. And so Paul says, when you come together, that you eat together and he says there was this economic status and this social status, and some were hungry and some were not hungry, and he warned against that uh, at many other places. And so what happened was those who got there early, they started drinking so much they got drunk. By the way, it was wine. You don't get drunk on Welch's grape juice. They were over-participating in the, in the cup. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, this is not the way. He says, don't you have homes to eat in? It's sarcastic. You're, why are you coming starving that you can't wait for other people? Have a snack at home before you come. Get a, eat a cheese stick. Grab a banana now that you know how to open it the proper way. And eat it so that you, don't, so that you can wait. It wasn't the poor. It wasn't the late arrivers that Paul was faulting. It was those early arrivers. It was the well-to-do. It was those elite. It was the ones who would have been at the, at the places of honor in this wealthy home. And so Lord's Supper was designed to foster unity... And what, what has happened through the centuries, through 2,000 years of Christianity, the one thing that was designed to foster unity has led to so much disunity. Debates and discussions on how to do it and what does it mean and how to perform it. And listen, there's very little in Scripture that says it must be celebrated in a certain way, but we make our walls and our divisions based on the very thing that Jesus said should bring us together as, as a kingdom of God. 
In fact, Romans 16, 17 says this. It's on your notes. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. In Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, what does he say? Have nothing to do with them. God takes division in his body, in the church, very seriously. Very seriously. In fact, the Lord's Supper, the place that's supposed to bring unity together, is that one thing that divides us. And I can't help but think we've kind of been doing it wrong in, in Christendom, right? In the, in, in the kingdom of God as we live. Well, that's the first R. The second R is this. And Paul very clearly tells us this. We're supposed to remember the Lord. He says that, for what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. Luke chapter 22, we read this. And he took bread, Jesus gave thanks and broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. What? Do this in remembrance of me. Pagan banquets had religious overtones, and the the Corinthian meal, what Paul was understanding was, listen, the pagans have religious overtones in their meals, but you Corinthians who are supposed to be Christians, there's nothing spiritual about you. (laughs) You are divisive. And I want to remind you, really, what you are together to do. You have this remembrance. Most cultures consider the meal as as a time of intimate personal fellowship. In our fast food culture, we don't really consider it that much anymore. But you go to other places around the world, and their meals are long, drawn-out affairs. Why? Because they enjoy just being together. The food is the, is the mechanism for them to share together. And Paul was saying, when you get together, you need to remember the Lord. The Lord's Supper, as part of this full meal, has disappeared But it came from the Lord, and the Lord gave it to the church. And so Paul reminds them, it's a very serious thing of what you're doing. The Lord's Supper isn't about the bread and the juice. It's not about the things, but it's about the community. It's about the remembering. The bread connects us to the personal body of Jesus. The cup connects us to his blood. And obviously the Corinthians forgot about this. Look at Paul's thought. He's going through, and he says in verse 22, shall I praise you? There's nothing to praise you for. You have these divisions. You're claiming to wear the name Jesus, and you're claiming to get together in the name of Jesus, and yet what you are doing is not preaching the name of Jesus. It's not showing the world Jesus at all. And so he has to bring them back to the foundation. And what is it that you're doing? You're remembering Jesus. Well, what am I remembering about Jesus? I'm remembering that I'm part of his body. It's not just me, but it's we. It's a community. And it's a proclamation. Look what Paul says. For whenever you drink of this bread and drink, you proclaim the what? The Lord's death until he comes. There's a a future look to it. Only when he comes, what? Participate in the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so we look at the backward look at the cross, but we also look forward to our future heavenly banquet. Why does Paul want us to look forward to the future? You know why Paul wants us to look forward to the future? What's going to happen at the heavenly banquet? People from what? Every nation? Tribe and tongue is going to be together worshiping around the throne of the Lamb. And Paul says, I want you to think that's where we're all going to be. And Paul is saying, when you remember Jesus, we're not only just remembering the cross, but we're looking forward to that time when we are all going to be at this wedding supper of the Lamb. Every believer who's ever lived is going to be there. And Paul says what? It's this community of what? Remembering Jesus. Third thing he tells us, the third R is this, is to recognize the body. He says this in verse 27. Whoever drinks the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
And he says everyone ought to examine and, and to see uh, what we are. And there's this unworthy manner in the context that Paul's talking about. They are not discerning the body. What's, what's the body? The body's the church. In other words, think about Paul's flow of thought. He is saying there's divisions among you, and when you get together, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper because of these divisions. The very thing that Jesus asked us to remember, because it's really about him, right? But he's also saying, because it's in a context of community, sometimes when you get together, you're not recognizing the body. And I think we kind of been doing it wrong, because at communion, what do we do? We close our eyes and bow our heads. We all have our own cup and our own bread. And I don't have to recognize anybody. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You need to recognize the body. I don't recognize like I'm holding Jesus' body. That's not what he's saying. In the context, the body is what? It's the body of Christ. It's the church. It's the bride of the Lamb. And so what they were doing was they were profaning because they were what? They were going ahead and eating not waiting for the others because they weren't recognizing other people. And he says that we need to recognize the body. And because of that, he says you are bringing God's judgment on yourself. Some of you are weak and sick. A number of you have fallen asleep. There's this, there's this judgment that has come upon them. And we don't know the details of what Paul is referring to. But there seems to be this, this discipline of the Lord that says what? That says, because you're not recognizing each other, because it's all about you, and it's no, it's no, it's no recognition of the body, some things are happening in your life. And the discipline of the Lord is trying to get you to move. God's discipline has one main purpose. It's to lead us to repentance, a change of the heart, and a change of conduct. Our parents disciplined us. Hebrews reminds us for what they thought was our own good. Sometimes it was just because they were mean. Parents, if we're honest, we discipline our kids just because we're mean. It feels good to yell. It feels good to send them to their room. It feels good to get, right? It just feels, right? But God disciplines us for our good. And what's our good? Our good is what? It's repentance. It's to change our attitudes. And so Paul is saying the Lord was bringing this, this discipline on the church at Corinth, not because he's mean, but because he wanted them to repent. He wanted to, to change their behavior. And so he says, I want you to have this self-evaluation. And, and self-evaluation in this context is not introspection. We have taken self-evaluation so that I just feel so bad about my sin. Like, mm, we, we try to get a spiritual hernia if we're, if we're sorry enough. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying... It's a self-introspection about what an awful sinner you are. And listen, in Christ, you are forgiven. So when you come to communion, Paul is not saying that this self-evaluation... Because I've heard people say that. I can't take communion because I've sinned. That's why you should be taking communion. Because you're a sinner. What do you think you are? Perfect? If you think you're perfect, you probably shouldn't be taking it. And so we, we pass the plate and we don't, we don't participate in community because I don't have, the, I have this self-introspection and, I, and I'm... No, that's the whole point. 
The whole point is what? The blood that was shed for our forgiveness. It's a celebration. And so what Paul is not, he's not saying to evaluate yourself of some sort of self-introspection. What he's saying is you evaluate yourself in relationship to other people. It's not just about you. And we have been doing it wrong. We will, we will bow our heads and, and close our eyes and we'll just try to feel really, really sorry. And then I can take communion. Listen, your sorrowfulness is not enough to pay for your sin. The blood of Jesus pays for your sin. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? So it doesn't matter how bad I feel. God's not going to say, well, you feel really bad. Your sins are forgiven. It doesn't work that way. But yet we approach communion the same way. If I just feel really bad, maybe I can manufacture some tears. Maybe I can just feel awful. Then I can participate. Paul's saying it's not the Lord's Supper you're celebrating. It's some kind of self-inflated, puffed-up ego pride that if you just feel bad enough, then you're worthy to participate. That's not it. What he says is, it's self-evaluation. It's self-examination. And uh, the unworthy manner is that you just think it's all about you and it's not about anybody else. The unworthy manner is that somehow I'm not connected to a body of believers, that it's just me and Jesus. And if I just feel bad enough, then I am worthy to participate. Without Jesus, no one is worthy to participate. None of us is worthy. In fact, when we participate, the very first word should be, Lord, I am unworthy, but thank you to Jesus, I can. And the Corinthians, and if we're not careful, we can do the same thing, that we just forget it's about the body of believers. We are placed in a body of believers. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, what happens? Form what? One body. There it is. Recognize the body. Yes, the bread and the wine. I recognize Jesus' body. Yes. But in the context of Corinthians, Paul is saying that you are part of a one body, and that's the body of Christ. And each member belongs to all the others. We are, a, we are to be aware of that we are part of community. When did communion get to be such a somber event? The funeral has already happened. Good Friday. But Easter Sunday came, and Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Maybe we should put on some party music and get up and start talking with one another and breaking bread together. And instead, we've turned it into this, this somber thing. If, I just, if I'm just sorrowful enough, no smiling no kids talking. Oh, man, if, if, that's not it. It was celebrated in a house. And you've been in houses full of people. Are they somber? No way. They're joyful and they're celebratory. And Paul says, that's what the Lord's Supper is. And yet we've turned it into this thing where it's, it's just all about me. It's just, it's just so dark and it's so somber. Yes, we are sorrowful because of the the death of Jesus was caused by my sin. But listen, I'm now forgiven. And in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I don't know. Maybe we've been looking at the, at the wrong way, but I need to, what, recognize the body. Recognize the body of Christ. It's not just me. So Paul goes on. 
Because of that, of recognizing the body, then there are some attitudes that I need to have. And the fourth one is this, is to rec- reconcile relationships. We, we look back to Christ's return, death, and we look forward to Christ's return, and we look around fellowship with each other. That's the, that's the focus that we have. We look back to the cross, we look forward to the return, but we look around and recognize the body that's around us. And what happens when I look around, I'm going to come across somebody and I'm going to be like, oh, I might be at odds with that person. I don't know. I don't think our relationship is where it needs to be because of something I said or something I did or some way that I have offended them. And yet, in the way we practice communion, I can be sitting next to my mortal enemy. And as long as I'm somber enough and I recognize Jesus, I'm fine. And Paul's like, that's not, that's not communion you're celebrating. It's something ego trip you have with the Lord. But what about the brother or sister right next to you that you are at odds with? And as we approach communion, we don't often think about people in our lives that we have odds with. And so communion demands reconciliation and sharing among all those regarded as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And it is the, one of those greatest challenges we have as we have communion. When's the last time we didn't participate in communion when we were at odds with somebody? I probably would guess never. Because why? Because we think it's just about me and Jesus. And as long as I'm okay with Jesus, I don't have to worry about anybody else. But the whole point of communion is reconciliation. In fact, that's what Jesus came to do for us. And so all kinds of injustice and racism and separation and all of those things, if they're in us, we need to pass on the communion. I need to reconcile relationship. Matthew 5 says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember, where are you? You're in this place, right? You're in the temple. You're in that place that somebody has something against you. What does Jesus say? Leave your gift there, and first and go be reconciled, and then come offer your gift. Jesus was more important, was more concerned about the status of our relationships than our religious rituals. He said, if you get there, you realize something's wrong. You need to settle that first. You need to settle that first. Because you're not doing God any favor by putting in the little spiritual coin and expecting to pull the lever and get some kind of blessing. Paul said, that's not it. And so what happens is we approach the Lord's Supper. We remember what Jesus reconciled us to him because of our sin. And so as, as participants in the Lord's Supper, if we are inconsistent in not actively participating in what? Ongoing reconcilement with others in our lives. It creates divisions. And Jesus would say, you need to fix that first. You need, because that's important. It's not just about you and Jesus. We are part of a a movement. Um, First Christian Church is part of a a movement that started back on the frontier in the 1800s. And you know how it started? Over communion. One of the guys was a preacher in a church but he wasn't the right hyphenated something to participate in communion with another church of the same tribe, but he had a couple different extras, you know, whatever kind. And he was not allowed to celebrate communion with this other group of Christians. He said, you know, there's something wrong here. When communion is the divisive thing, the thing that's supposed to bring unity is the very thing that is separating us. 
And we understand that in community, it's that thing that what? It brings us together. In fact, when he participated, he was reprimanded for participating because he was trying to demonstrate some kind of unity. The whole point of communion is to remember that we have reconcilement with God and to reconcile relationships. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, all this, this was the new creation that Paul just talked about in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, what? This new has come. All this, 2 Corinthians 5.18, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See the vertical and the horizontal dimensions? Paul says that because of Christ, we are now reconciled to God. But we also have this ministry of reconciliation, which is what? It's to reconcile others to him, but also reconcile them to us. It's a time, communion is a time, to remember any ways we have broken a relationship. Communion is the time to remember that I need to be the one to say I'm sorry. I need to be the one that says I was wrong. I need to be the one that says I have offended you. Will you forgive me? And we often don't do that when it comes time to communion. When it comes time to communion, we say, yeah, that, is, that relationship is awful, but whoo-wee, if I die today, I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Pass the bread in the cup. Paul says it might not be the Lord's Supper you're participating in. Think about the body. Think about other people and, 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 and reconcile those relationships. Now listen, Paul also says, as far as it depends on you. Now you can only do so many things, right? If the other person doesn't want to talk to you, they don't want to receive you, like that's on them. Then you allow the Lord to what? Keep burning coals on their head. <laughs> you do the right thing. But, but as far as it depends on you, because it depends on all of us. Paul says a person ought to examine what? Himself. And we are good other people inspectors. We get out our spiritual magnifying glass and like, whoo-wee, yeah. Look at the sin in your life. Paul says, you know what? If you, would be, if you would be as concerned about yourself as you are about others, this judgment wouldn't happen in your life. We all have that whataboutism disease. Whenever somebody challenges us with our sin, we're always like, yeah, but what about the time you did this? <laughs> Remember the time you did this? What about this? We're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13 in a few weeks about love, but that's not what love does. Love says, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's part of communion. That's part of as we, as we gather together to remember. And so Paul reminds us what? To reconcile relationships. Paul is consistently in this section of Corinthians challenging us to do what? To forego our personal rights for the benefit of others. And so it logically follows in 1 Corinthians 11 as Paul is talking about communion that he's saying this is a perfect opportunity for you believers to also forego personal rights and to take into account other people in your life. Which is why the fifth thing that Paul reminds us is to regard others before ourselves, to think about others before ourselves. In verse 33, he says, So then, Paul gives us the summary when you gather to eat, you should all what? All eat together. Yeah, but I'm really, 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 really hungry. Paul says, You shouldn't be really, really, really hungry. You should have had a snack. Now, when you get together, you all should eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. You take care of business before you get there. So that, why? You can regard others above yourself. So that, he says, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, 
I will give further instructions. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in that Corinthian church and I just heard that from Paul, and then I heard Paul was coming to give further instructions, I'd be like, whoo-wee, when's the guest preacher coming? Because I am going to be out of town that Sunday. But that's what he's saying. He said, you, you disregard others before yourself. That's the essence of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus regarded us before him. Paul's saying you need to wait on one another at this meal and as you celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he says you share this common thing together. Why? Because you recognize each others. The, the first comers must wait for the latecomers to arrive. They're not late on necessarily any fault of their own, but they're just late. And as you're going ahead and you're not waiting. And he says, if you can't wait for others, you should eat and drink at home. And so what he says is there's this, there's this um, worship sphere and then there's this private sphere. And all Paul is directing is this, is this meeting together in worship. He's not talking about what you do at home. Jesus is ultimately our model. Philippians 2 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, what value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And he gives Jesus as the model for doing that. And I don't know, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, do we ever think of other people before ourselves? Or is it just all about me? And Jesus, and me, and Jesus, and I don't have my, uh, have my blinders on. I don't, nobody's in my peripheral vision. It's just about me and Jesus. And Paul says, but it's community. It's about getting together. Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul's not saying have a low opinion of yourself. All Paul's saying is, whatever opinion you have of yourself, you, hold, you have a better opinion of other people. If the opinion of yourself is a five, you treat other people like a six. If your opinion is a 10, you treat people as 11, right? That's all he's saying. He says, you don't have to treat yourself like a zero. He's just saying, in, your, in those places, you honor people above yourself. And isn't that the conflict? We're always fighting with self. Think about the last time you got irritated, the last time you got angry, the last time that something fell apart. Wasn't it because something was denied to us, something was delayed in getting to us, something was demanded of us? It all comes back to us. Communion is that time, the Lord's Supper is that time when we are to recognize the body, recognize other people. It's not just me and Jesus, it's me and we. Three times a month, a man named Jermaine Washington and Michelle Stevens met together for what they called a gratitude lunch. And with good reason, Jermaine donated a kidney to Michelle, whom he described as just a friend. They met at work where they used to have lunch together. One day, Michelle wept as she spoke about waiting on a kidney donor for 11 months. She was being sustained by kidney dialysis, but suffered chronic fatigue and blackouts and was plagued by joint pain. Because Jermaine couldn't stand the thought of watching his friend die, he gave her one of his kidneys. And because God doesn't want the thought of us dying, he gave us Jesus. He gave us far more than a kidney. He gave us his son. And when we are in Christ, the blood of Jesus flows through our veins. We are one with him, and we are one with one another. 
And that's the essence of communion, is not just me and Jesus, as, but I need to remember Jesus, but I also have to remember there's a horizontal relationship or a horizontal dimension to communion as well. And as I participate, I recognize I'm part of a body, a body that I'm responsible to and that, that I can minister to and that, that I can help and that they can help me and that I'm not in this alone. And so I don't know, maybe we've been eating the apple the wrong way and peeling the banana the wrong way and doing the toothpaste the wrong way because it's so, it's so me and it's not so much we. But that's the essence of what Paul is trying to say. You know, the most important words about communion are two short words. It's two words of three letters each, and those are for you. We're not in the upper room with the 12, as Jesus said, this is for you. But what he says is what? This is for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. He says, for you. We don't have a word, a plural you, unless you're from the South. And really what Jesus was saying was, this is for y'all. This is for y'all. We hear you, and we're like, oh, me, ha, ha. No, Jesus is saying, this is for y'all. It's for you, and you, and you, and you, together. It's not just for me, and it's not appropriate every time. I hear this sometimes. You just take that word out and put your name in there. No, if it's a plural you, or it's a we, don't put your name in there. It's not for just you, but it's for we. It's for y'all. And so Jesus, when Paul says, this is my body, which is for y'all, do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever y'all drink it in remembrance of me. We have a time to remember Jesus. We have a time to come to communion and to make it that, that, that time when it's maybe a little more meaningful than just me and Jesus. That gets kind of lonely after a while, doesn't it? Just me and Jesus. And Paul's challenging us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to is to repudiate divisiveness, that I'm not going to participate in dividing the body of Christ. Listen, this world is divided. It just is. Anywhere you go, it's divided. And Paul says, this, 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 this can't be in the church. This just can't be. Or you're not acting like a church, and you may not even be a church. So there's, you, have, you need to, what, repudiate, you repudiate this divisiveness, to, to stand against the division, because the very thing that the Lord's Supper is meant to do is, is not what you are doing. Yes, you remember the Lord, and yes, you, but you recognize the body, you reconcile relationships, and I regard others first. And wouldn't that elevate our participation in the Lord's Supper? It would make our lives different. It would make other people's lives different. So we're going to have an opportunity before we have our prayer time to participate in the Lord's Supper as the men come to pass out the elements, would you do those five R's? Just regard people, repudiate divisiveness. Think about the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this time, um, we are reminded of the fact that sometimes we make things something that they're not. And so, Father, that's certainly true with the Lord's Supper. It, it can be true with a whole host of things, Father, but so much with this, in our, in our individualistic Western culture, we've even made the Lord's Supper into this individualized thing. So, Father, would you expand our horizons? Would you open up those opportunities that we would recognize the body 
And it's not just me, it's we. Jesus said, I do this for y'all. And we're part of this great body. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we sing, if you need prayer, the men will meet you in the back to your right. Time for us to continue to just sacrifice our lives to Jesus as he sacrificed to us. It's a time of commitment and a time of challenge, a time of recommitment, a time of saying, Lord, I want to be all that you want me to be. Let's sing, and if you need prayer, make your way to the back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>